So we've been teaching from Romans 1.21. Let me turn back over there and just rehearse this quickly. But we've been talking about things that you have to do to maintain what God has done in your life. You know, I've got a book back there entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. That's a great teaching. I could spend a lot of time saying this, but some people, they have trouble mixing these two things. They say God does everything by grace, and so what we do has zero to do with what God does. Well, that's not exactly true. It is true that God is God, and He loves you independent of your performance, and God has a perfect plan for every single person, and His grace towards you is totally unmerited, undeserved. There is nothing you do to make God's grace abound in you any more than what God has already done. But Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that by the grace of God I am what I am, and God's grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than you all, yet not me, but the grace of God which was in me. God's grace is towards every one of us. God has a perfect plan for your life. God has already healed every person. He's already provided. He's already commanded a financial blessing on you. Every one of you, there is no need for you to ever have financial problems. God has already commanded and blessed you with financial prosperity. God has given every one of you perfect health. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of every one of you. You already have love, joy, and peace. There is never a moment of your born-again life that you don't have joy and peace just flooding in your spirit. But you know what? There are things you can do to release what God has done and make it manifest so that you can enjoy it, or you can block that. You can dam it up. And so, see, this is the other side of the coin. Some people say it's just totally up to God. Well, it is true that God, by His grace, moves independent of what you deserve, but what you do doesn't affect God's heart towards you, but it will affect your heart towards God. If you aren't seeking God, God will love you exactly the same, but you won't love God the same, and you will be hardened towards God. And so, anyway, that's what that book is about, is that there's a balance between grace and faith. Faith are the things that you need to do in response to what God has already given you by grace. And many people don't understand this. They are asking God when they get empty, when they're depressed and discouraged, they're asking God to do something. God has already commanded His blessing upon you. You never have to ask God to bless you. You never have to ask God to heal you. You never have to ask God for joy or a revelation of His love. God's already given all those things to you. If you aren't experiencing them, it's you. It's your pipe that's clogged, not God. I was using this example. It's not God's transmitter that's not transmitting. It's your receiver that's not receiving. And so we need to work on ourselves, and that's what I've been talking about. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 tells you four things that we do to block the flow of God in our life. And I believe that they're progressive things. The very first thing that we talked about in Romans 1.21, it says, "...because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God." We spent an entire evening talking about that, and that's a powerful truth. But this means to put the proper value, to value, to prize, to honor, to esteem God properly. Some of you, that may not ring your bell, but boy, it was powerful to me. If you missed that, you need to get these tapes. This word also means to magnify. You can magnify God. You can make God bigger. And the way you do that is by what you focus on. You have to put value on the Lord and focus on Him. And when you do, God will become bigger than your problems. 
And that's the very first thing you have to do to be able to maintain the flow of the things of God in your life. You have to esteem God more valuable than anything else in your life. And this is where most people miss it. Most people do not properly esteem and recognize what God is doing in their life. Amen. The second thing is it says that they were not thankful. And we spent an entire night, Monday night, talking about being thankful. I tell you, that's powerful. We live in a thankless generation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says that one of the signs of the end time is that people will be unthankful and unholy. Unthankfulness is unholy. It's a sin. It's listed right along with everything else. Most people look at being thankful as something that it's just a byproduct. If things were going good, I would be thankful. No, if you aren't thankful right now for what you've got, if you're waiting until everything in your life is perfect before you're thankful, you'll never be thankful. Man, it's a command in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord always, always. And we talked about how important it is to be thankful. The third thing it talks about here is that their imagination became vain. And we talked about that last night. And I tell you, there is so much to share on this. I didn't even use these scriptures. Let's real quickly just look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and then we'll go on. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This scripture is talking about that there is a warfare in the Christian life. In case some of you haven't figured that out yet, there is a warfare. <laughs> Amen. When you get born again and if you really commit yourself to the Lord and become a disciple, it's just like you got a big target painted on you. The devil is definitely going to come against you and some people think, well, then I don't want to commit myself to the Lord. I'm not saying you lose. You can win. I am more victorious than I've ever been, but it's not because I don't have fights. I've got more fights than I've ever had, but you know what? I'm winning. So I'm not preaching defeat, but I'm just saying that there is a warfare. It takes effort to be able to walk in victory. And this scripture is saying that the weapons of our warfare do what? They tear down strongholds, high imaginations and thoughts and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In the body of Christ today, we're hearing a tremendous amount of talk about warfare, spiritual warfare. And this is my opinion. I had not got time to justify this by Scripture. I want to really move on, so I'm just going to say this quickly. You can take this as andeology if you want to. You know, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Usually has a couple of holes in it. But my opinion is, amen, that most of what we call spiritual warfare today is totally, totally wrong. Not understanding that Christ has already done everything. And it's like a diversionary tactic. You know, if you're in a battle and if your enemy comes against you, one of the things they do, they try and make you think that they're attacking over here so that you'll marshal all of your forces over there and then they attack your flank. That's what Satan is doing. Satan is encouraging a lot of this spiritual warfare where people are binding this and fighting the demonic powers over a city and doing all of this stuff because that is not where the battle is. This scripture tells you where the battle is. It's in your imagination and in your thoughts. The warfare is right between your ears. There's people that try and bind the devil out of a service. I don't know if you've ever been a part of this where they plead the blood over a service. 
I remember in a Baptist church I grew up in, they used to say, we plead the blood over the doors and windows, and if the devil could get in here, you'd have to be a saved devil because he's got to come through the blood. doesn't work that way. Just think about this. Jesus had Satan at the Last Supper because he entered into Judas. That means he had to be present in the room to enter into Judas. If Jesus couldn't keep Satan out of the Last Supper, you can't keep the devil out of this auditorium. If we were to bind the devil and not let any devils in here, do you know what? There'd be just very few people in this room tonight. (laughs) You know what? It's not what's going on out here. It's right between your ears is where the battle is. You are battling thoughts and imaginations. And that's what we were talking about last night, how important your imagination is. Most people don't recognize that the way you see things on the inside, your dreams, your goals, your hopes, those are the positive side of imagination, or your fear and your worry and your dread, that's the negative side of imagination. These are actually the driving forces of your life. The very word the Hebrew word that was translated imagination in the Old Testament literally means conception. It's where you conceive things. It's the creative part of you. If your imagination is not working for you, if it's working against you, it makes you creatively sterile. The only thing you're able to do is bring negative things to pass, but not positive things. And man, that is super important. And I want you to see that the link here in Romans 1.21 is that you have to glorify God, you have to be thankful, and then your imagination works properly. They're all interrelated. They're connected. You cannot just work on your imagination and not glorify God and not be thankful. It's the opposite. If you will place the proper value on God and esteem Him more than anything else and begin to really praise God, then you know what? Your imagination will automatically move towards the positive and it'll start functioning in a positive direction. Man, that is really important that you understand this. Very important. So back to Romans 1.21, those are the first three things. The thing I want to talk about tonight in verse 21, the last step is if you haven't glorified God, if you haven't practiced being thankful, if you're a murmuring complainer, then that causes your imagination to become vain. It's still working, but it's working against you instead of for you. And the last step is your foolish heart becomes darkened. This is a major topic. I could spend days, weeks talking about your heart. Matter of fact, I've got a tape series entitled Hardness of Heart, three tapes on that. I've got a three-tape series on how to prepare your heart. I'll be talking about some of those things tonight. But there is a huge amount of material on your heart. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. I'm going to be using lots of scriptures tonight, and so you might want to get the tape or jot these down. It'd take too long if I turned all of them. But in Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart controls what you say, and it also controls what you do. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your heart dictates what you say and what you do. Now, that's a simple statement, but you know what? Most people, they don't have understanding of what we're saying. Most people, here's a term that most of you can relate to. Most people are actually into behavior modification. Most people are trying to change their actions without changing their heart. I meet people all of the time that, I mean, they go get drunk or something, or they get on dope, they have a car wreck, they lose their job, their money starts falling apart, 
and they realize that their actions are destroying their life, endangering other people, it's causing problems, and so they're in trouble. So they try and change their actions without changing their heart, their value systems that caused this in the first place. And you know what that's actually doing? It's tearing you apart. That's what the Bible calls hypocrisy. And really, the church, to a large degree, I'm not necessarily talking about this church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, to a large degree is preaching this by putting all of the emphasis on actions and telling people don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. Praise God, you got to do this and this and this. And we're putting the emphasis on actions without putting the emphasis on the heart. We're actually creating hypocrisy in people. We've got people who are giving not because their heart is to give, because they really got a heart of giving, because they understand it properly, but they're giving out of fear that they're going to be punished if they don't. So they give, but they aren't giving with the right attitude. There's hundreds of scriptures on this. One of the classics is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, where Jesus said that if I give all of my goods to feed the poor, or if I give my body to be burned and do it without God's kind of love, it profits me nothing. The scripture makes it very clear that it is more important the attitude of your heart than your actions. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 23. He says, you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within it's totally destroyed, it's corrupt. He says, you're like graves, it look good, you're painted sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. And then he turned around and he says, cleanse first that which is within, and then the outside will be clean. The Lord is more concerned about your heart than he is your actions. Do you know, when you go to saying things like this, it may sound good on the surface, but when you go to applying it, I guarantee you religious people hate this. Religious people are more into the form, the outer manifestation, than they are the deals of the heart. There's some people today that if a person was to come into their church and didn't dress according to their dress code, it wouldn't matter what their heart was like. They're going to judge them based on that external person. If there's people that don't have the right mannerisms, if they clap when they shouldn't clap, that they shout and this is a quiet church, they're going to judge them based on those external things and not based on their heart. And yet the Bible makes it very clear in 1 Samuel 16, 7 that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. If a person could let God have their heart and give their heart to God, their actions will eventually change. There's a relationship here. But man tends to look on the outward appearance. Most of religion is man-operated. It's according to man's ideas. And so they put all of the emphasis on getting you cleaned up and looking like them and acting like them when the truth is that your heart may not be in it. And they don't care about that. They're just looking on the outward appearance. And if you look good and if you come to church dressed the right way and do the right things and put the money in the plate, doesn't matter what your heart's like. But you know what? God's not like that at all. The Lord is into changing your heart. I wish I had a better way of saying this. Even on an individual basis, it's amazing how much emphasis you put on your own actions and ignore the fact of your heart. God is after your heart. That's what pleases Him. You know, I'm sure I've given some of these examples, but there was a girl that was at one of my meetings in Phoenix, and this girl had just gotten born again two months before, 
And she was so excited. Man, she was literally bouncing up and down on the front row over here. She would bounce up and down. She'd get so excited. And so finally one night I asked her to come up and give her testimony. And she stood up and she says, Oh, this is the best, blankety-blank. She just started cussing and using profanity. And every third word was profanity. And when she said it, people gasped and some laughed. And she looked at me and she says, did I do something wrong? I said, you didn't do a thing wrong. Just keep going. And this woman got up, I mean, for 10 minutes, cussed and used profanity and said things. And, you know, after the service, people came up to me and said, I can't believe you let her say that in church. Says, I'd never do that. And they were criticizing, you know, her vocabulary, the outer men. And they totally missed her heart. And I told them, I said, you know what? God was more pleased with that testimony than he's been with yours in the last 20 years. said, some of you are as straight as a gun barrel and twice as empty. I said, you've got the mannerisms. You'd never say that except when you smash your thumb or when something goes wrong. You know, you've learned how to control yourself in church, but you know what? Your heart wasn't on fire with God. I said, this woman loved God with her whole heart. And I said, her brain just hadn't caught up with her heart yet. Anyway, I came back the next year, and she came up to me, and she apologized. She says, I am sorry. I didn't know Christians didn't talk like that. She said, I've been out in the world, and she's a prostitute and everything else. She says, I thought everybody talked like this. She says, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. You know, give her time, and it worked out. We led this girl to the Lord in Childress, Texas, and her and her husband, we fed them out in a park. And anyway, they'd lived in a nudist colony for three years before that, and the woman got born again, but when she came to church, all she had was short shorts. I mean, she could not hardly sit on those shorts. They were so short. And she had a halter top. And this was a well-endowed woman. We used to sit in a semicircle in this little church. We only had 50 people max. So you couldn't get in front of her and not watch her. When we got to dancing and praising God, it just left nothing to your imagination. Amen. And anyway... The religious people in this church came up to me and criticized, aren't you going to do something to this plan? I said, hey, did we have to throw a sheet over her in the park before we witnessed to her and told her about how much Jesus loved her? I said, give her time. She'll learn. And I think it may have taken six weeks. It wasn't very long. And one day she was in a Bible study that my wife was leading, just a woman's Bible study. And she says, you know, I have never owned a dress in my life. And she says... I'd really like to have a dress and start dressing like the rest of you. He says, would you all pray that we would get enough money to buy a dress? I mean, by 2 o'clock that afternoon, <laughs> she had a dozen dresses, amen. They were all up to her neck and all the way down to the floor, praise God. And she came to church wearing this dress and so proud. And she never one time had to have somebody tell her, God's upset and doesn't love you if you don't dress a certain way. You know, I believe that you should dress in a way that keeps other people from lusting after you. You shouldn't encourage it. But you know what? That's something that comes with growth. God's looking at a person's heart. And I believe it would have displeased God if this woman who was sincere and seeking God with all of her heart, if we had come up and got her attention off of her heart and put it on all of the externals, God will teach her. God will show her these things. And it came to pass. But you know what? Most religious people just can't handle that. We are so into getting people to act right, and that's what we're going after. And that's what causes hypocrisy in people. Man, we put the emphasis on you conform to this standard. And they don't want to. They don't feel like it, but they do it for acceptance or for whatever, and it breeds hypocrisy. 
Can we just catch the fish and let God clean them? Amen? Praise God. And we need to let God work on people's heart and be tolerant and love people. Anyway, I'm getting off on all of this by saying that, see, the condition of your heart dictates how you act. And there are some people who are trying to change their actions without changing their heart. And that's not the way that it's supposed to be. God wants to change your heart, and then actions change as a byproduct. They follow. Actions are not the driving force. They're a byproduct of relationship with God. I'm not telling anybody not to act godly. I'm just saying that it needs to come from the heart or it doesn't please God. If it doesn't come from your heart, it's not pleasing to God. It may please your religion. It may please certain people. It may get you points with people, but God looks on the heart. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're doing the right things. If you give your body to be burned or everything you've got to feed the poor, and if you don't do it motivated by God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. Nothing. It doesn't profit you a little bit. It profits you nothing. You have to do things from the heart. And so this issue here about your heart, your heart becoming darkened, what this is talking about is that your heart becomes insensitive to God. You no longer are responsive. You aren't hearing the voice of God. Man, there's so many things about a hardened heart. Matter of fact, let's look over here in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a very similar passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 This says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. You know what this word understanding is? It's the same Greek word that was translated imaginations in other places. This is talking about your imagination, your understanding. Actually, it's your imagination that enables you to understand. I hadn't got time to establish that, but your understanding and your imagination are the same thing. Boy, that's a radical statement. I could get back and teach on what we talked about last night. But anyway, you have the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Having their foolish heart darkened, Romans 1.21, is the same thing as having your heart blinded here. It's talking about that your heart is not able to see and perceive. It's not able to listen and hear from God. Did you know the way that God originally created man was not to live the way that the vast majority of us live? The way most of us live is that we live from our mental, emotional part. We feed it with all of this external information. We educate it and teach it how to do things. And this mind right here is the driving force in most people. You make decisions based on all of this external information that you gather through your five senses. God didn't create man to live that way. Now, he gave us the capacity to do that because there are natural things. You know, like when you're driving a car, you need to process this natural information. If the light turns, you need to stop. Amen. You need to be able to react to that, but it wasn't ever intended to be the driving force. A man was originally created that he was in fellowship with God, and God spoke to us in our spirit. Our heart, spirit, was in contact, communion with God, and we were totally led by the spirit. Our heart dictated what we did, how we thought, how we felt. 
And when man sinned against God, there was a break in that, and our spirit became dead. When it says dead, it doesn't mean that it ceased to exist. It still exists and it still functioned, but it became separated from God. That's what the word death means in Scripture. There is no such thing as ceasing to exist. When a person dies, their body, it turns to dust and stuff, but the person is a spirit, and they don't cease to exist. They separate from their body. When it talks about that we're dead and trespasses and sin, all of you is still functioning, but it's separated from God. Now, instead of God flowing into you through your spirit and speaking to you and giving you direction, what happened is when that happened, people were separated from God, and until God provided a way back into that communion, people just started ruling their life on this external information. And yet it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 7, in the New Testament it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Did you know through Jesus we have the access once again that you can let your heart dictate and dominate you instead of your carnal mind and external circumstances. But very few Christians do that. Very few Christians are being led by their heart. Man, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Man, there's so many ways I could illustrate this. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, I believe it is, that when the Holy Spirit has come, he'll teach you all things lead you into all truth, bring all, that's John 14, 26, bring all things back to your remembrance, but it says in John 15, he will show you things to come. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, we haven't drawn on our spiritual man anything like what we can. I know that years ago, this has been 15 years ago, I was meditating on that verse, and the Lord spoke to me through that and says, you haven't been really listening to me and letting me show you things to come. And so I started praying about it, and I started just spending time being quiet in the presence of God and letting God speak to me and begin to influence me. And one of the first things that he did was I had four horses that I kept on this guy's property. I'd had them there for two or three years, and every Sunday at church he came up and he says, oh, I'm so glad you got those horses there. I don't have to mow that thing anymore. And he says, I just love having your horses there. He went down and fed them and played with them and stuff, and he loved it. Everything was going good. The Lord spoke to me and says, you need to find a new place to put those horses. Well, this was free. And the guy loved it. And you know what? It didn't make sense to me. And so I waited about a week. But finally, I started asking around. And I found a place that I could put those horses. I'd have to pay for it. But I found a place where I could put the horses. And I made a deal on a Saturday. I didn't tell the guy when it would happen. But I said, I know I'm going to have to be moving those horses. I made a deal with him on Saturday. On Sunday, this good friend of mine who owned the property came up and he says, I can't stand it anymore. Those horses got to be gone by Tuesday. He says, I will not have them anymore. First negative word he had ever spoken to me. I had no indication it was coming except God had prepared me. I already had the place lined up on Saturday before he spoke to me on Sunday. I started praying about it anyway. That's what led me to the place where we now live. The Lord started showing me some things. The Lord showed me 18 months before we actually started on television that it was coming, told me that it was coming, and then two people came and prophesied it over me and confirmed it. And those are just small examples, but the point I'm making is most of us wait until something external tells us and dictates things to us, but the truth is God wants to speak to you in your heart. You have a mind in your heart. Matter of fact, it's listed right here. Where are you? In Ephesians? If you're in Ephesians chapter 4, 
In verse 22, it says, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you know that you have a mind in your spirit? You got, a, you got a brain right here. This is your brain. But you know what? Your spirit man also has intelligence and has a mind. And God will speak things to you and you can make decisions and judgments based on your spiritual mind instead of your physical mind. Most people, this is just like I'm from another planet. There's a lot of people in here that you've never let your spiritual mind... You've never thought about having two minds. Why did the Bible tell you not to be double-minded? The reason it tells you not to be double-minded is because you've got two minds and you don't want to be just going back and forth. You need to get to where you're spiritually minded, to where your spirit man controls and just uses this as a processor, not as a master control. Amen. You can take information in, but you ought to let your spiritual mind make the decisions. It needs to be your heart. Your heart has the ability to see and to hear and to think and make decisions. You should be living from your heart, not living from your head. Man, that is so hard for people to get hold of, especially in our society where education is it. That's because the people that are in charge of the news media and the people who are influencing you are carnal. The word carnal doesn't mean sin. It means of the five senses. What you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Carnal literally means fleshly or meat. Like when you say chili con carne. That's chili with meat. So when you're carnal, you're saying you're a meathead. <laughs> it's saying you're living out of just your old physical brain. And it's amazing how this is so radical to people. But you know what? God intended you to live from your heart. And how do you do that? Well, go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I was reading this. It says, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The word Gentile here is talking about somebody who was a non-Jew outside of the covenants of promise. What we would talk about today is don't be like a lost man. Don't be like a lost man who just lives from their brain and does not live from your heart. Out of your heart are the issues of life. It's your heart that you need to learn to listen to. Your heart needs to direct you instead of your brain. Does everybody see this? This is a radical statement. Don't live like a lost man who is living from his brain. That's amazing. Radical statement. There's most Christians are living just like a lost man and wondering why we're getting the same results. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. If you think like a lost man, you'll get lost man results. You think like a new man, you start thinking, basing it on your new spiritual heart, and you know what? You'll get spiritual results. And it goes on to say in verse 18, if you do walk in the vanity of your mind, that darkens... Your understanding, which again is talking about this imagination. See, all of these things are interrelated. If you are living from your mind, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and how you process that information in your little peanut brain up here, you are going to severely limit what God can do. Man, I wish I had weeks more to tell you this, but... 
Let me real quickly try and summarize something I said in this teaching on hardness of heart. I taught this here, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's been a long time. But you know what? When your heart becomes hardened, it means insensitive. The word hardened, according to the dictionary, is cold, insensitive, unfeeling, unyielding to God. And we become insensitive to God, but your heart still functions. If you make it insensitive towards God, then it automatically becomes sensitive towards physical, flesh-oriented type of things. And most of us have conditioned our heart to be sensitive to, dominated by, controlled by our physical senses. Most of you, like for instance, when you worry, when you're afraid, when you're in unbelief, anger, all those kind of things, those come out of the heart. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds adultery, fornication, lust, lasciviousness, evil thoughts, etc. And he listed all of these things. That is a product of your heart. And the reason the heart is responding this way is because we're letting it be dominated by all of these external physical things. Our understanding is darkened, so you become insensitive to God. God is transmitting and speaking to you, but you don't hear because your heart is insensitive. How does your heart become insensitive? And I'm just summarizing some things. If you want details, you've got to go get the tape set. But whatever you focus your attention on, your heart becomes sensitive to. Whatever you neglect, your heart becomes hardened to. Now, that may not mean much to you, but it took me a lot of years to learn that one. This is a really simple key to the Christian life. And see, this is the reason. Again, all of these things are interrelated. If you would go to valuing God, which means you have to put a greater priority on God, and if you really value the things of God, then that means that He's going to occupy more of your attention, more of your focus than other things. So if you put more of your focus on God, if you start being thankful, which means that you humble yourself, and you change your attention away from the negative things and look at the positive things, what this is doing is it's putting all of your attention on God, and whatever you focus your attention upon, you become sensitive to. If you glorify God, thank Him, your imagination starts seeing godly things instead of negative things, the end result is your heart becomes sensitive to God. It's not hard. It's easy. But on the other hand, your heart will become sensitive to whatever you focus your attention on. If you're listening to the news, if you are plugged into just this world, if you're listening to the doubt and the unbelief, the fear, the anger, the criticism, if you're looking at the negative things that are going on in life, I can guarantee you there is no way that your heart is going to be sensitive to God with you neglecting the things of God. And you can still retain knowledge. I don't believe that once a person's born again and once God touches their life, I don't think anybody just totally rejects things and says, I don't want to hear that anymore. They still got the facts up here, but those facts aren't dominating them anymore. They become insensitive to it because of the condition of their heart. Boy, this is really powerful. And so the key to all of this is keeping a sensitive heart towards the Lord. And you know how you do that? You glorify God. You put more value on Him than anything else, which dictates that you're going to have to put more attention on Him than anything else. And you become thankful. Man, you constantly rehearse your victories, remember things, thank God for it, force your imagination, recognize that your imaginations are where things are conceived. If you don't want something birthed in you, don't think it. Don't imagine it. 
Here's a little aside, but you know, imagination is where thoughts take on power. You can't keep thoughts from coming to you. You know what? I had somebody come up and spit in my face while I was talking to him. I mean, a big old wad of stuff right in my face. You know what? I had a thought. <laughs> but it was a fleeting thought. I never missed what I was saying. I just kept witnessing to him and talking to him because you know what? I didn't empower it. You can't keep a thought from coming. There's going to be times thoughts will come. But you know what? When thoughts begin to start being powerful, when you let them enter into your imagination and you begin to start seeing what you're thinking and empowering those things. And you've got to stop thoughts before they ever become imaginations. You can't allow your imagination to follow a train of thought that's contrary to God's Word. So that's an important truth. Amen? If you'll do these things, put worth and value on the things of the Lord and be thankful and use your imagination only in positive things, you'll find out that it'll sensitize your heart to the Lord. One of the things that I do is that there's many things. You know, God's kind of love. Once you ever really experience a God kind of love, the love that the world calls love is just cheap in comparison. There is no comparison. And so, you know what? I walk in love. I heard John Charles using the term love walk today and stuff. Man, I walk in love. I don't get angry at people. If I find myself angry at a person operating in unforgiveness, criticizing a person, putting them down, man, the first time I start seeing that kind of stuff, you know what? I start changing. I get back in front of the Lord and I say, God, something's wrong because this is not the way your kind of love is. Your kind of love doesn't criticize other people. The first little sign of something like that, it's like I've got these warning things around me, and the first time I begin to start triggering any of those things, the first time any of these alarms go off, you know what? I'll separate myself. I'll spend time in the Word of God seeking Him and get me back into that position to where, man, I'm feeling God's kind of love, even for the people who hate me. And one of the major things I use, it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart, Colossians 3.15. If I'm in traffic... Man, I don't allow myself to get stressed out and trying to get someplace in a hurry. If I have to, I'll pull over on the side of the road because I am not going to get out of peace. I do not get anxious. I gave you an example in airports. Man, other people running to catch their plane. I'll just walk, and if I miss it, I miss it. I don't care. doesn't matter to me. I do not get out of peace over things. I don't get into strife. Man, peace is something that I value highly, and if anything begins to start making me anxious, and upset, I change whatever's going on in my life in a hurry. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, man, you wouldn't make it 10 minutes in the life I live in. That's your fault. I wouldn't work a job that took my peace away. Now, there's two ways to approach this. Some of you just don't know how to walk in peace, and you'd be stressed out if, well, regardless of what it is. So you need to make sure that you are not just the problem, but if you really are in a situation that it is taking away your peace, you need to change that situation. That's not healthy for you physically or spiritually. I just don't live in anything that takes my peace away. I don't do things like that. You know what? I don't go certain places to minister because I know that it's not a godly situation and stuff. I make a lot of decisions based on peace. Matter of fact, I think I told you this one time too, but I had an opportunity to go to Panama and everything looked good, or maybe it was Costa Rica, it was one of those two places I'd been, but I'd been there before and saw great results. 
And I'd planned on going back, but this was in 1980, I believe it was, when I was moving my mother from Texas up to Colorado. And I drove at U-Haul truck for 17 hours. And as I prayed about this trip, you know, I had all of my plans made. I'd already bought the tickets and everything. And I just lost my peace about that. I didn't like it. I didn't want to go. And I didn't have any peace. So I spent 17 hours praying in tongues while I drove that truck trying to figure out what was going on. First of all, I checked to see if I was really meditating on the Lord. Well, after 17 hours praying in tongues, I knew I was meditating on the Lord. And I still didn't have any peace. Matter of fact, I got less peace the more I prayed about it. And so finally, I called up these people and I said, I don't know what the situation is, but I said, I'm not coming. And I canceled that thing because I didn't feel any peace about it. And you know, a friend of mine was going with me. He had already uh, booked his tickets, but when I didn't go, he went from Costa Rica to Mexico City to Miami to Chicago to Dallas to Denver because he saved a few bucks. Mine was a straight flight from Mexico City to Dallas and then Denver. So anyway, he changed his route. And did you know that the plane where we were scheduled to be on took off from Mexico City and crashed and killed all 169 people on impact? And I was preserved from that because I listened to my heart and I kept my peace. You know, God speaks to you through your heart. And it's amazing if we would let our heart begin to dominate us. But this verse is saying that if you aren't glorifying God, if you aren't thankful, your imagination will become vain and your foolish heart will be darkened. In other words, it's blind. You're alienated from the life of God because of the hardness, the dullness of your heart. And this is exactly where a vast majority of Christians are because we haven't been seeking God and putting value on God and praising His name and using our imagination properly. We're so dull, insensitive to God that you can't hear and God's speaking to you constantly, but we just don't hear. I think that this was John G. Lake. I always get him confused here in this instance with uh, Smith Wigglesworth, but I think it's John G. Lake was driving up a mountain road and he was going around this left-hand curve, sharp left-hand curve with like a thousand-foot drop-off. And as he was driving around there, the Lord said, pull into the left lane and park. You know, that doesn't make sense. You pull into the left lane on a mountain road, sharp left-hand turn, if somebody was coming down the thing, they'd run right into you. Now, see, I hear the voice of God, but I'm not quite that sensitive yet. I probably would have wanted three visions and a confirmation and something else, and I'd have probably been two miles up the road before I responded. Well, John Lake just instantly pulled over and parked, and he said within six seconds, a log truck came down the mountain. It was out of control, and it couldn't handle the curve, and it was over in his lane on the outside lane, and if he hadn't have been parked on the inside, he would have collided with that log truck, and both of them would have gone off the mountain and have been destroyed. You know what the Bible says? God's no respecter of persons. God speaks to every person in here every time anything is ever going to go wrong in your life. He speaks, but the problem is our heart is so darkened, our understanding, we're alienated from that life, that voice of God because of the hardness of our heart. I remember when Keith Green, you know, the musician, took off in a plane and it hit these high wires and he was killed, the pilot, and I think two of his kids were killed. A lot of people said, man, how come God allowed that to happen? He was serving God. Why did God do that? Well, I don't have any way to verify this except what I believe through the Scripture that the Bible says that the Lord is always speaking to us. He has a plan for us and it's for good and not for evil. 
I personally believe God spoke to them. Matter of fact, I've heard stories. Melody Green was there, and the pilot knew that the plane was overweight and they should not have taken off, and Keith Green just said, oh, we can make it, and told them to do it. But there was a voice. There was a witness. There was God showing them that this was not the right thing to do, and they ignored it. You know what? God speaks to you all the time. I've heard testimonies of people that were told not to get on the freeway and something major happens and on and on. God is speaking to us all of the time. It's not God who's unfaithful. It's us who don't hear the voice of God because we aren't letting our hearts dominate and lead us. Instead, we're just going along in the ignorance of our mind, in the blindness of our mind. Your mind doesn't have near the capacity for understanding and processing things that your heart does. Your heart is where the real wisdom lies. You as a born-again Christian have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. You have the mind of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, Put on the new man, talking about your spirit man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know, even in the natural realm, they say that we only use 10% of our brain. And if you were using 100% of your brain, it wouldn't compete with 10% of your spiritual mind. Your spiritual mind has the mind of Christ in it. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, that you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. That's not talking about your peanut brain. You can prove that by your last test score. It's not your brain here that knows all things, but you know what? In your spirit, you have the perfect wisdom and mind of Christ. You know all things in your spirit. But if you allow your heart to become darkened, separated from this, then what good is all this wisdom? What good is this ability for God to speak to you? Because God speaks to you through your heart. And this is where most Christians are. We've got this tremendous presence of God in our heart. But you know, God speaks in a still, small voice, and most of us aren't listening to our heart. Instead, we're out here listening to all of the external things, trying to figure out with our little mind how to make our life work. You know what? You're never going to make it. If you don't get to a place where you honestly trust your heart more than you trust your head, you're never going to be a successful Christian. That's just the long and the short of it. And there's very few Christians that do that. That's amazing. Look over here in Proverbs chapter 4. Let me show you a passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Notice where you keep God's word, in the midst of your heart. It says in Psalms 119, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. In verse 22, it says, For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart is where life comes from. It doesn't come from external things. It doesn't come from your mind. It comes from your heart. That's what the Scripture here is saying. Keep your heart with all diligence. What this means is put priority on your heart. Make sure that your heart is the most important thing. You know, we educate our brain. We got laws that you have to go to school, and if you don't, you're truant, and they'll prosecute you. Man, you get up and drag yourself out of bed. 
You make yourself go to school. You make yourself do things. But you know, when it comes to your spiritual man, we would like to study the Word more. We would like to fellowship with God more. But that's if you have time. If everything else isn't too pressing, you go to church if you feel like it. You know, most of us have not put the priority on seeking the wisdom that's already in our spirit and drawing on that life. We haven't put God in our heart first. And we wonder why we aren't receiving more results. You know, our lifestyle is not conducive to a person really walking with God. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Sadhu Sundar Singh. He was a holy man in India. He was a Muslim, had a vision, was converted to the Lord. And this guy, there's, I've read records of him that he went into Bombay one time and saw like 15 to 20 people raised from the dead in one day. He saw hundreds of people raised from the dead, so many so that he had half a million people at his meetings in India and he finally had to quit praying for the sick because there were so many people to pray for he never had an opportunity to preach the gospel. So he quit praying for the sick because he felt like preaching the gospel was more important. And, I mean, great things happened. When I went to India, everybody knew about Sadhu Sundar Singh. He's a legend over there. He died in about 1949 or something. And around 1910 or somewhere around there, he came over to the United States. And because he had to take a boat over, you know, it took a month or two months to get here by boat, he had two years' worth of meetings scheduled in the United States. He got off the boat in New York City, spent 30 minutes walking around New York City, got back on the boat, canceled all of his appointments, and he says, these people will never listen to the gospel. They're too busy. And he canceled all his stuff and went back. That was about 1910. Can you imagine what he would think of our lifestyle today? The Bible says in Psalms 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Brothers and sisters, it takes time to meditate and give all diligence to your heart. You cannot say, I give it quality time. I only give it five minutes a day, but boy, it's quality. You've got to have some quantity time as well as quality time. You need to sit and soak in the presence of God. You know, that's the reason for extended meetings. You know, if we sometime had a meeting that just went a whole month, at a time, by the end of that month, you would see things happen that we would never see happen in a three or four day meeting just because people sat and soaked. If you could get people to commit that much time, if they would come and sit and soak, I guarantee you it would transform the way that you receive. You've got to start spending time in the presence of God, listening to your heart and listening to God speak to you. God does not work like a microwave. Amen. You can't microwave your miracle. You need to sit in the presence of God. And there's just no shortcut to it. Amen? Look over here in Psalms 119. So how do you begin to get your understanding, your heart to where it can see and listen? Look at this in Psalms 119, in verse 99. It says, I have more understanding than all my teachers why? Because thy testimonies are my meditation. You know what meditation is? I mentioned this last night. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but meditation is when you read the Word and then you close your physical eyes and with your spiritual eyes you meditate until you see what you've read with your heart where your imagination gets involved. If it's saying like John 14, 12, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. You know, that's a powerful verse, but if you just read that and then go on and don't stop and think about it, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these. If you would sit down and after you read those words, close the Bible and say, God, this says the works that you did. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead. And with your mind, start seeing yourself laying hands on somebody who's dead and see them come to life. See somebody who's blind receive their sight and say, that's what Jesus told me. I'm a believer, so you know what? I'm going to see these things come to pass. If you would meditate on that, you would have more understanding than all of your teachers. Your spirit would begin to start opening up. You could see things with your heart, and your heart could go to speaking to you and leading you to do certain things. That's the way that it works. Until you see it on the inside, you cannot see it on the outside. I was preaching a message one time in Corpus Christi, Texas, and the pastor of that church, I was preaching on John chapter 14, verse 12, the verse I just quoted. And the pastor heard that, and he got to meditating on that. And when I left, I left on a Wednesday night. He prayed about it the rest of the week. On Sunday morning, he got up and he preached on John 14, 12 again. And he says, you know what? We're going to see the dead raised. He says, I've been meditating on it. And he says, I conceive something on the inside. He says, I know it's going to happen. And he was up preaching about seeing somebody raised from the dead. And while he was preaching, a man stood up over here and walked forward and grabbed his heart and fell over dead. And they had a nurse in the audience. She came up and she said, he's dead. There was no pulse. They tried CPR. They called the fire station, which was across the street. Normally, they'd have been there instantaneously. It took them 25 minutes to get there. They were right across the street from the church. And so they had already tried CPR. The guy was gone and... The whole service was ruined. The dead man was laying at the front of the church. and Finally, the pastor didn't know what to do, and he says, well, let's pray. So they started to pray, and as he prayed, he says, what am I preaching? He says, we're going to see the dead raised. He says, this is the dead, amen. And so he walked over and spoke to him, and this guy rose up from the dead right as the paramedics walked in. And they took him to the hospital, examined him. He was totally healthy, and they let him go, and he had to catch a taxi back to the church and he made the pastor pay the taxi fare because he says, I didn't want to go in the first place. You made me go. And They saw a man raised from the dead. You know how all that happened? They first of all started meditating in that word. This is what it says. You have more understanding than all your teachers because your testimony, the word, is your meditation. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to scold anybody. I'm just trying to make it clear that God's not our problem. We're our problem. And you know what? There are very few people in here that meditate on the Word day and night like it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, not everybody's a preacher. Somebody's got to go to work. I can't meditate on it day and night. Yeah, you can. The same part of you that worries is the same part of you that meditates. Worry is nothing but meditation on something bad. And you know what? You can meditate on the things of God and still do your job and you can do it better. You can keep your mind stayed on God. You can bring every thought into captivity and under obedience to Christ. You do not have to be a preacher to meditate in the Word day and night. Matter of fact, I can guarantee you most preachers are on call 24 hours a day and they have so many things coming at them. It's hard to spend time meditating on the Word if you're a preacher. That doesn't make it easy. 
and got a lot of other things to be doing. So don't give me this. It doesn't work for everybody else. The Bible says that you can bring every thought into captivity and under obedience. It wouldn't have given you a command to meditate in the Word day and night if you couldn't do it. You can do it. Our minds are like a muscle that hasn't been exercised. And you know what? They're nearly atrophied in some people. We sit down in front of a television and turn it on and let it do the thinking for us so we don't have to take any effort. There's some people who don't even like to read a paper because that takes too much effort to read. We just want to sit down and have somebody intravenous give it to us. But you know what? It takes effort. It takes a while to exercise your mind, but you can get your mind to where it'll respond to you and it'll do what you want it to. You can exercise this mind. It goes on to say in verse 104, it says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The Word of God gives you understanding. It begins to open up your heart. In verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. God's Word touches your heart. This is why some people struggle with the Word because they're trying to understand it with their brain. God's Word is written to your heart. If you'll read God's Word with your heart, you'll have understanding. If you just try and pick it apart with your brain, you'll mess up. You'll miss some things. But you know, if you'll listen with your heart, God's Word is written to your heart. God's Word, the entrance of God's Word will give you life. It'll give understanding unto the simple. Look over in Proverbs chapter 1. It says in verse 2, here's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. It's so that you can know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand the proverb and interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. If any of you seem like, man, you just don't have the wisdom of God, understanding, it's hard for you to understand. The book of Proverbs is written to give you understanding. Take it and read it. And put your finger on this scripture and say, God, you said that this would give me wisdom and understanding. Go to read it. And you know what? It'll transform your life. If you would meditate on this, it'll give you more understanding than all of your teachers. In chapter 2, look at this. It says in verse 1, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures. You know, we spiritualize things and sometimes miss this, but this means that you ought to desire these words more than you desire to make money, more than you desire for your business to prosper. When you get to where, God, I want wisdom more than I want money. You know what? When you get that way, you'll get it. It goes on to say in verse 4, it says, If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord God giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Out of his mouth is the word of God. Verse 11, Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. 
This is all talking about attitudes of the heart, not just carnal knowledge, but having your heart. Understanding is a function of the heart. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, notice this one. This is interesting. It says, Whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. You know, you put this together with Psalms chapter 32. It says, Don't be as a horse or a mule who have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. It says, Don't act like an animal who have no understanding, and they have to have something in their mouth to hurt them, and they have to feel something physical, a physical pain to restrain them. That's all they respond to is physical pain. You need to be able to listen to your heart, that understanding, and not be punished physically. It's amazing how many people don't follow this. We wait until we crash and burn, until things are going wrong, your marriage is falling apart, and then only when anything in the natural is falling apart do we listen to our spirit. If you make a habit of doing that, you're a person that goes from pit to pit instead of glory to glory. Amen? You need to get to where you listen to your heart. Man, if you're out committing adultery, you know what? You lack understanding. You are not listening to your heart. You're letting your hormones drive you. You're like a horse. You know, I've had a stallion. I got an education through this stallion. I've had nothing but mares prior to that, and I had one gelding, but boy, I never had a stallion before. Boy, when you get a stallion, that's a whole different animal. And I wound up having to build a corral for this guy that was out of logs that were two foot in diameter, some of them. That's the only thing that would hold him. He could jump any fence or go straight through it. It didn't matter what it was. And I already had one of my mares foal, and I was fixing to have this real regular with this stallion around. And so I was building this huge corral to keep him out. And I was on my way to England, and I didn't finish the corral. I got it finished on three sides, but I had one side open. And my original intent was to keep the stallion corralled in this corral. And I knew that when the mare got out of sight down the hill, that that stallion would just go through this fence and around, find that mare, and I'd have another colt when I got back. And I was thinking, and I took this scripture in Psalms 32. It says, don't be as a horse or as a mule who have no understanding. You know, horses are not stupid, but they can't understand. They can't reason. And especially a stallion, when his hormones get to flowing, there is no reason to it whatsoever. It's just always the shortest pass between him and that mare. And so I thought about this for a while, and you know what? The Lord spoke to me, and instead of putting the stallion... See, the stallion could get out of nearly anything, but the mare, she wouldn't even step over barbed wire if it was laying on the ground. She wouldn't step over. That's just the way that she was. So what I did, I put the mare in the corral. And you know what? I was gone for three weeks. And when I got back, that stallion, because he could always see that mare, he never did figure out to go around the thing... <laughs> and come at her. He just was always the shortest direction between him and that mare. And there was a hole that deep all along the edge of that corral where he had pranced and clawed and, and done things. He had tried to climb over that corral. He had done everything, but he had never gotten through. He never got out. They were there for three weeks. That's a horse. Doesn't have any understanding. You know what? A person that commits adulteries like that, you're just brain dead. You aren't using your heart. You aren't listening to God. You aren't sensitive. You have to get out of communion with God. Do you know, if you would get to a place to where you were letting your heart rule, it would be impossible to go commit adultery. You have to literally shut off that heart. 
before you can do something like that. You could not be in communion with God, listening to God, and do something like that. And that's not only true of adultery, it's true of just a thousand things. You know what? You couldn't be angry. You couldn't be so selfish. You couldn't be as mean as a snake. You couldn't be depressed. You couldn't be a lot of the things that we are if you would just be in communion with God. Again, we're trying to have all of these changes in our behavior without changing our heart. Our heart's just filled with junk. We're thinking on all of the wrong things. We're cold. We're insensitive towards God. And this is the way our heart is, but we want different results. That's the wrong way to fix this problem. You know what I'm telling you may not be the easiest. Most people would like to come forward and just have somebody lay hands on them and cast out of me this desire to go commit adultery. Cast out of me this depression. We just want to get it cast out. We want to have instantaneous results. We don't want to do something that's going to take effort. But you know what? The benefit of changing your heart is it may take a little more effort and it may take a little bit of time. But you know what? Once you change your heart, it takes time to get your heart established. But once it's changed, it also takes time to get out of it. If you start acting right because it's from your heart, your heart can't just change like that. It takes time, and you won't find yourself falling into sin and falling off the wagon and doing things because your heart will establish you, and you let your heart direct you. That's what that whole tape series on how to prepare your heart is all about. Man, that's a powerful truth. It's awesome. So let's go back here to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to end, believe it or not. There's no end to talking about your heart. This is really the issue of the Bible, but let me wind it up by saying this, that the last stage in blocking the flow of God in your life, walking away from what He's done, is to have a hardened heart. But all of these things are intertwined. They're interrelated. If you recognize what I've said tonight about the importance of your heart, out of your heart are the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and on and on. If you recognize how important your heart is, you cannot just change your heart without glorifying God, making a decision to become thankful, start using your imagination in a positive way. Those are the ways that you access your heart. That's the way that you begin to change your heart. You can't start from this verse and go backwards. You have to start at the beginning. You have to make a conscious decision to glorify God. That means to place more value on God, what God has said to you, what He's done in your life than anything or anybody else, and not let anything else compete. You can't want the acclaim of people, of any person. You can't become codependent on your wife, your husband, your children, your job. You have to get to where your love and commitment to God stands alone so that if everything else in your life was to collapse you are still going to put more importance and honor on God. You can stand on His Word alone. You're going to have to magnify Him, make Him bigger. You're going to have to start praising God and be thankful. You're going to have to rehearse your victories. You're going to have to make a conscious effort to minimize the negative, to despise the shame, and to set the joy before you and look at the good stuff that God's been doing. And if you'll do those things, you'll find out that this will start making your imagination start seeing positive things and conceive things, and that will lead to a sensitive heart. Those are the steps to it, and there's no other way to get there. This is really how simple it is. If you do these things, I promise you, this is the way God made your heart. 
I didn't come up with this. The things I've been teaching you tonight are just little excerpts from the Word of God about how your heart functions. And this is the way that God made you. You may not like it. You might want a different way of doing it. But this is the way God made you. It's the way God set it up. And if you would give the priority on these things and get your heart to where you're listening to your heart and following your heart, you know what? It'll save your life. It'll give you supernatural wisdom. God will go to speaking to you about things. You have to practice this. You know, I think it was just a year ago, January, I was getting ready to go to a board meeting. We have an annual board meeting. And I had all of my good friends coming together for this board meeting. And as I was packing, we go and stay at this hotel and have a two-day board meeting. And as we were getting ready to go, I was just, I do things like this. Some of y'all think this is crazy, but you know what? I ask God to remind me if there's anything I've forgotten. Some of you will think, well, man, God gave you a brain. Use it. Well, I don't believe it bothers the Lord. I just ask the Lord to remind me. You know what? I don't use an alarm clock. I ask the Lord to wake me up. That's not saying it's wrong for you to use an alarm clock. But it's just something I choose to do because it keeps me listening to God. I make myself live to where I have to be dependent upon God. And I mean, I've gone to bed with only two hours sleep, have an international flight that I can't miss, and I'll go to sleep with only two hours sleep, and I'll just ask God to wake me up. Now, you don't have to do that, all right? And there's different ways you can accomplish this same thing, but that's just the way I've chosen. I listen to my heart, and God always wakes me up. I've never missed a flight. I ask God to tell me if there's something else that I need to take. I asked the Lord to remind me of things. And as we were packing to go to this board meeting, somebody had given me a Broncos hat, Super Bowl champions hat. And I don't hardly ever wear those kind of hats. Somebody gave it to me, and I just thought, I bet you one of my board members would like that hat. And so I thought about it, and I said, I think that's the Lord. So I packed that hat. And I went, and I didn't say a thing to anybody. And it was after two days of the board meeting. We were getting ready to leave. I was out at my car saying goodbye. One of my board members that lives in Oregon said, do you know where you can get one of those Broncos hats? He says, I've been wanting one of those and I've tried two or three places and I can't get one. And I said, just happened to have the thing right here and gave it to him. And you know what? I don't know if that blessed him that I gave it to him, but it just was a reminder that you know what? The Holy Ghost will show you things if you'll go to listening to your heart. And I actually believe that that's a part of me operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Some of you may think it's disjointed, but it's not. If I can't hear God and things like that, how am I going to hear God to say there's somebody here that's been wanting to commit suicide and things like that? I don't believe it's right for you to departmentalize your life and have from 7 o'clock on to be where you're listening to God, but the rest of the day you're operating in the flesh. You know, that's not true. God will help you do whatever you do. And God will make you a better accountant. He'll show you where the errors are and make things work. God will make you a better truck driver. Amen. He'll show you when things are coming up. There isn't anything you can do that you can't do better listening to God and being sensitive to God. And we have really messed up, leave entire segments of our life just totally devoted to carnal and operating under the carnal. God did not make you to function that way. I tell you, if you'd start listening to your heart, it's just amazing what God would do through you and to you. And I know that we all want those results, but we want it some other way. What I'm telling you isn't the easiest way, but it's the best way. 
just to get your heart established. It's really that simple. Amen? That's a good word. I can promise you that if you would receive this and start implementing it in your life, there would be radical transformation. This could change your life as much as anything you've ever got. really could. But it's all dependent on what you're going to do with it. What value are you going to put on what you've heard? You're the one that places a value on that. Amen?